0: Well, welcome into the 48 Days Podcast. You know, today's episode is going to be one of those rare exceptions where I have a guest on with me. Now, clearly, there has to be some special reason when I do that. So I got three today. The reason is I'm going to interview an author who has just released a very important book. Number two, that book is titled, What Drives You? How to Discover Your Unique Motivators and Accelerate Growth and Work and Life. Obviously, a topic that ties right in with our 48 Days theme Things that we unpack week after week. And number three, the third reason is that I'm going to have a guest on today is because the author of this new book is Kevin Miller. Yes, my son, the host of the wildly successful podcast, Self-Helpful, that little boy you hear me talk about. How he got his bicycle when he was ten years old. How he had his own business at fourteen. Became a world-ranked athlete. Now is the grandfather, the grandfather, the father of nine of my grandkids. Hey,
1: welcome, Kevin. Hey, thank you for having me. What a great, uh, great fruition and and an honor. And how much of this book and journey do I owe to my parents and the exposure I got to such things? I'm uh, incredibly. Grateful and and privileged, so um, here's to you. Well, this is going to be a
0: special occasion as we unpack this book. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, as you heard, we're going to have a little bit different focus today, talking with my son, Kevin, about his new book. I got a quotation for us, it comes from Mark Batterson, who, Kevin, I know you know well as well, who said, an inheritance is what you leave to someone. A legacy is what you leave in someone. So we're going to have some fun today pack, talking through some of the principles that you've outlined in your new book, What Drives You. Man, this is got to be a big achievement for you.
1: I am. um, Hey man, it's just, it's, you know, I looked at books for so long at doing one and realized I didn't have the drive to do one uh, on (laughs) on the topics that I was thinking of. And I just said, okay, that's fine. Then I love writing, but apparently I didn't have that, that drive then. And this one I did. This one really came to me and was special to me. The message was, I shared it a little bit on the podcast, got a great reception, and said, I want to devote to this one. And now I know much more what the devotion to a book is actually like, especially going through a traditional publisher. I saw you do it, but I didn't realize the nuances. So I have been properly schooled, but I'm excited about it.
0: You know, I get books sent to me per much every day, and I always commend the people who did them because it does. It takes a lot of work, a lot of focus to bring a book to life, to go through not only developing your concepts, but then the logistics, the editing process, the layout, the working with publishers, getting it done to Amazon, getting an ISBN and all those, all those groovy little things that have to be done. So congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, this is exciting. You know, I love the cover. I know, you know, you and your brother, my other son, Jared worked on ideas there, went back and forth. I love how the cover turned out. Interestingly, and of course, we're going to tell people, you know, go grab a copy. My goodness. But in the cover, the title being What Drives You, that could have been a question, but it doesn't appear to be. I'm sure there was some thought put into that. What drives you? Is that a question or is,
1: I'm going to tell you what, Yes. (laughs) Yes, Uh, exactly. No, thanks for picking that out. It it was because people kept coming back. Even my publisher a couple of times came back with a question mark. I said, no, 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 no. There's no question mark because what drives you in, in, at at the forefront, it's not for me to say, that's the point. We're going to figure out what drives you authentically. What is uniquely your motives and, and let's question some of the cultural motives and the expectations and some things and look at what you really care about. That's what's going to really drive you well. So this is for you to discover. So it's not for me to say. Uh, so there's not a, you know, so, so there's one side of it. And on the other side, I am going to give you some guidance though. Uh, I, there, there are some, you know, specific ingredients that we see statistically throughout successful people and successful as I'm going to say big S meaning, you know, fulfillment, not just in one area of life. And I am going to lead you through that and say, gosh, this is what we see that historically through humanity does provide us with fulfillment with, uh, you know, and it's based on our values. So there is a, an aspect of me guiding you and, and, and kind of giving you some, uh, a trail to follow here of what's probably going to be your, the things that motivate you and drive you. But uh, ultimately you're saying it. So yeah, we left it blank uh, so it can work both ways.
0: Work both ways. I love that. Subtle classy i like that well i got a thousand questions obviously i i know you well but here you are with the book my goodness i got a lot of questions about unpacking this thing now you start off somewhere in there you talked about yoga Berra, who was said to be driving himself some players to the baseball hall of fame and after passing the same landmark three times joe gergiola said yogi you're lost To which yogi replied yeah i know but we're making good time ain't we You know, I think that describes a lot of us. You know, others see us as doing okay, and we are, but we may not have a real clear sense of what we're moving to. We've just kind of created our own version of Groundhog Day, you know, going through the same motions every day. Is that part of what you're unpacking here?
1: It is, Dad. I mean, it's and it's part of what hit me as I realized, man, what do I want for my kids? I want them to know what they really want um, and, and let that drive them. And it was. In the same instance, in a sense of realizing, oh my gosh, here I am with, I mean, it gets some good achievements and success and fulfillment that I'm, I'm so grateful for. And yet realizing there's so much that I didn't really key in on as far as where do I really want to go with this? It was kind of, man, it was a shiny object. It was interesting and let's just go. So I was driven and I love that, man. I love being driven. I love waking up with curiosity and interest and inspiration every morning and yet realizing that there's a lot of what I went after. And I didn't really key in on why am I going after this? What is motivating me? I'm driven. And so, you know, that's half the equation. That's awesome. Let's get you, get you driven, but now let's make sure you're going in the right direction. And I think it's what, or I know it's what resulted. And as you know, it's part of my bio, you know, he started 19 businesses. Well, you've seen those and I'll start one and it'll go up and it may even be really successful. And then I tend to sabotage it is what we found out as I had a life plan done for me. And it's this graph going up and down. And why is that? And that was a lot of it is I'm driving, but I don't really know. We're making good time. Don't know where we're going, but we're making good time. And that that was my propensity, and I see that with a lot of driven people or strivers, as Arthur Brooks would call them. And I, I sometimes wonder, Dad, uh, if that's where you get your serial entrepreneurs. Maybe they're serial entrepreneurs because they go from one thing to another because they haven't figured out what they really want to do. It's what you were. I felt like until you found what you're doing now, and you've been at that for what twenty five years.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I think you're. I think you're right on with that. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, people who are in business they have so many ideas they don't want to narrow down to just one they want to experiment with a lot of things and sometimes it sabotages their success in any one as you kind of alluded to there but now when we talk about having drive and you talk about being driven you know I want to jump into this right away because we tend to assume well he's driven you know she's not you know she's a hard driver you know he's not and you you throw out as a myth it's a myth that some people are driven and others are not, that some people are more driven than others. You say everyone has a same amount of drive. Man, help me get my head around that because I've always seen some people as having drive and some not. Me too. Me right. too.
1: And then people came along and violated my belief, dug on it. People like, I mean, I start the book off, chapter one, with Ben Hardy, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, an author I really appreciate, had on the show's multiple times. I had him on the show once and he tells this story about, you know, long story short, he's 19. He's playing video games 14 hours a day. He has nothing. He's been given nothing by his parents as far as the equipping that I would want my kids to have the way you gave me. He has nothing of that. No outlook on life, no experiences, no skills, abilities, necessarily nothing. And yet it's this subtle Realization of him looking around going, Man, if I stay in this circumstance and environment, it's not going to end well. I should do something. And he just kind of reached out to the only thought he had, somebody who'd been involved in his youth group at church, and uh, said, I, I want to do something. He got involved in something. And then, you know, not many years later, he's the number one blogger on Medium. And today, his first book deals about a quarter million bucks. And I look at that and go, Well, that. Irritates me. That's not how I want to build (laughs) drive. That doesn't, that, and so it's not just something you pull out of a box. Yeah. Yeah. And and realizing that, man, it's, it's people found a reason. And now you get the couch potato playing video games 14 hours a day, this kid. And, um, and and he just, and he looks around and just has a little bit of a dawning. That's why the first chapter of the book is, uh, drive is just a thought away. And he has a thought, kind of looks around and goes, I, I should probably do something different. And he did. And, dang, look at where he is now. And it's just, yeah, really thwarted a lot of my own perspective on how I view drive. And then I found I started seeing more and hearing more now that my uh, reticular activator is on. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. about that. I start I started realizing going, gosh, there's so many stories like that. You know, you get the guy who's overweight, out of shape, sedentary, and, he, and has theoretically no drive. And then what happens? He has a heart attack. He goes in, doctor says, dude, you change things or you're going to die. Next day, he's Mr. Driven. Well, he didn't go and have an upbringing that built drive in him. He didn't spend three years on the self-help seminar trail or podcasts or books. And he just found a reason. And the next day he's Mr. Driven. I'm going, huh. And so that's where a lot of the study, my own study came in. This is rocking my own world. <laughs>
0: so it's there. It just has to be explored, brought to the surface. Okay. I got a question for you here coming from one of my podcast listeners. I just got this email who He says, I had an email once that said, shouldn't I be happy with just better than average? So he says, this is his situation. And incidentally, in a lengthier explanation here, he said that failure in his career has led to irreversible damage. He says, as a person who was kicked out of two engineering majors in college due to subpar grades and barely passing college, a 2.4 GPA was enough to help me graduate. My hopes for getting a 3.0 were dashed. And then he talks about, Getting the engineering degree, didn't get him a job in a nice house and a fancy car like he thought. He's now living with his parents again. He says, now my question is, what if our attempts to be at least better than average crash down on us and aiming for somewhat average would lessen disappointment? So he's saying, I've tried some things, I've failed. Shouldn't I just strive for average? It would lessen my disappointment rather than shooting for something bigger. What would you say to this guy?
1: Let's say he's unfortunately in a lot of good company these days. I, I, f- I feel that sentiment, especially in the younger generation right now, that better just to stay safe, not be disappointed, not risk anything. I mean, that's the joke that we you know, have said in the past that I try not to say anymore because it's so devastating now is yeah, the secret to success. Just lower your expectations. And I think, I think <laughs> you <laughs> joked with that. Maybe I got it. From well, that's, you. that's really a Buddhist principle. The, easy, the quickest way I mean, to success I mean, is be content with what you have. I well, And as you know, there's merit in that. I get that. But that's not a black and white statement. That's on a spectrum. And I look at also, you know, Tony Robbins. We talked about this yesterday in the class I was leading that his little statement that he gets attributed with of the happiest people are just those who are making progress in life. And they just got something to hope for. They're building something. It's pretty basic, and and to just lower your expectations. No, I want people to be driven. I want them to be inspired. It makes everything better. It makes the world better. It makes my world uh, better. But my gosh, with that guy, I think a lot of them are. You know, he wants to be better than average. What does that mean to him? Who I would say that's based on a cultural expectation of what he thinks average is. And I would look at him and go, dude, you have no idea what you want. That's what I would say with a lot of confidence. You do not know what you want. You're going off maybe what your parents think you want or what the culture thinks you want. Why did you go into engineering? What is better than average? What do you want? Which again, is the point of my book and my podcast is to bring us to, if I could weigh, I mean, but the, the ulterior motive is what do you value? And I don't think we know. Okay, I, I, but that dude does not know what he values. You know? Let's take let's take two things we we
0: just touched on. You talked about Ben Hardy, who had yeah. essentially an inciting incident. He was realized he was on the couch for 15 hours a day, and he had just, he just decided to change his life. Got into college, got straight A's, went on to his PhD. Now he's a well-known speaker, author, and now I'm talking about a guy who is on the couch. He tried, he failed, you know. So he had that exciting. How, why are the responses so dramatically different to those inciting incidents?
1: That one's still, um, maybe that'll be my next book. If okay. Get some insight on that one. Well, uh, I, I mean, you do wonder why, because I look at that and I used to say, dad, I used to actually question, you know, why are some people dripping and some are not? I used to say that now. And now I look at it and go, but there's still a question mark around desire. I feel like why did Ben look around? And see desire. Honestly, if I was going to have to surmise that, I would say it's because in his early childhood, he was brought up in a structure that had some values attached to it that resonated with him. And even though his parents left that and his mom, you know, goes off and does some weird business and his dad becomes a meth addict, he still had those seeds in there that, that held him. And I'll attribute you, dad, you and mom, that even as I talk about. Uh, a lot of my life of being driven, not quite really knowing where I'm going. I didn't go off the bandwagon though. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it was because I still had some core values in me that I wasn't going to deviate from. And so those still held me in a tried or true state uh, to, to, to to a certain degree. And I would say that with this, you know, with this guy, if he doesn't get off the couch and Ben did, that there's some aspect of values that one or the other was exposed to, uh, you know, Ben was it, he wasn't. And from that, some kind of a desire, some kind of a, as your old book was, some kind of a, you know, the rudder of the day, your book, there's some kind of a rudder that called out to them that they were able to attach to. And if you don't have any exposure to that, that's a dangerous place to be. And I think we have more and more people that don't.
0: Right? All right. You know, we're, we're going to have a hard time covering all the things I want to ask you about this book <laughs> in, in a short episode sure. here. So sure. I want to touch on what you just alluded to there, that idea of environment, you know, our early years of environment, those do impact us. Now, you have nine children, obviously, with a clear possibility that they'll choose different career paths. Now, if one chooses to be a brain surgeon, and one is a happy Uber driver, would you say that one is more driven than the other?
1: Well, that's a great point on drive that I I put in the book. We tend to give that attribute of people saying of oh, that person's driven and that one's not. The person that we say is driven, we're generally going to say that because we attribute whatever they're going to towards as a positive productive thing. Oh, yes. they're driven because and
0: usually as more and bigger.
1: Yeah. As more as more and bigger, though on the other side, and I said this recently in a a show another show I was on. Cause I keep thinking about it. I mean, who's, who are the driven rock stars? Like who are the most driven people on the planet? The, the hall of fame, probably addicts. Mm. I mean, think, I mean, those folks are, they'll kill for the next hit and they are not going to miss it. They are absolutely driven, but we don't call them driven because they're driven towards something that we don't give uh, you know, status to. And, you know, but there is the propensity and I've done it too, to judge what somebody's driven by. And I've had to pull myself off of that and go, man, I just want people that are driven. I don't care what it is anymore. If they're driven towards something, you know, obviously positive, it's not hurting other people or whatever. It benefits us all and it makes them happy people. And that's the best thing that we can have in our, you know, in our our culture is happy people, people creating things, progressing towards things. So if they're an Uber driver or a brain surgeon, no, I've tried to come off that. It's kind of the old Billy Graham thing. Is he at the right hand? hand of God because he brought a million people to the Lord uh, over the over your dad with a little Mennonite church who devoted his life and brought a handful to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to feel like, no, no, man, that's what they were called to. We need people in all places. So I'm trying not to judge the altruism or the size of the drive or the end result. So we could both describe Steve
0: Jobs and Mother Teresa as driven. Steve Jobs was a billionaire. Mother Teresa was not but very, very clearly had a clear goal in mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm still continually blown away by the smart, one of my buddies, you know, his dad dies, small town pastor and people from all around the, the, the country and further came to the guy's funeral because he had impacted their lives. He doesn't have a book, never has a podcast. Nobody will ever know his name. And I think that guy's drive, I value uh, more than Steve Jobs, probably. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm I'm grateful. I'm, I like my MacBook, but if Steve uh, Jobs didn't exist, I don't know that my life would be any less. Somebody's going to be really pissed off that I said that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if I'm going to look at the value, uh, yeah, uh, there's, there's a lot to be looked at there.
0: All right. So you talk a lot in What Drives You about our family influences, you know, how we may see, see things we want to continue or things that make us rebel and go in a different direction. Uh, you even share that you observe me your dad never having a real job and how that likely influenced you to be an entrepreneur. Whereas if I had been a, a doctor, like your buddy Randy's dad was, you probably would have heavily influenced you to maybe go in that direction. So the question I have for you then, did you even have a choice? Having been exposed to one model, how deep does that go in our ability to make new decisions?
1: I think that's a great question. And I asked myself that as a as a father, that if I yeah. if I if I if I were right now say, look, I'm an entrepreneur, I have nine kids. Every single one of them is a rock star entrepreneur. They're all gonna be authors, they're all gonna have a podcast. Is that really showcased my success? Or is that showcase that I really pigeonholed them? <laughs> Brainwashed you know, them. I, I thought about that, Dad. You probably know the guy, there's some famous guy, and he raised his two girls to be chess players, and they're both yes. rock star chess players. Yes. And I looked at that and I thought that's kind of odd. Is that just a really unique thing or did he not give them much choice? And he said, every day you're going to play chess 10 hours a day. And is that really what they were meant to do? Is that what gives them joy? I don't know, but I question that. Tiger Woods, you know,
0: playing, playing golf when he was 18 months old, you know, same kind of thing. And we see him now.
1: The the sisters, what are the tennis sisters? Uh, The Williams. Yeah. yeah. Serena. Venus and Serena
0: Williams. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, without making a lot of judgments, you look at somebody like Tiger Woods, you know, he's very successful as a golf player, but does he have a life that we really want to model? No, not at all. Broken marriage, disasters, personal relationships, a lot of physical challenges at a very young age. Oh,
1: okay. It's a, it's a great question and a, and a hard <laughs> question. So no, yeah, you messed my life up by not showcasing a great steady employment. Yes.
0: there you, you Well, I, I wonder about that. You know, having, having three kids and none of them are content with a real job. I thought, man, I didn't give them any option
1: to consider
0: that seriously.
1: Well, I had a kid call me out, you know him, it's my oldest son. And he's like, daddy, I know that, you know, being an entrepreneur, I can make more money per hour and I could do this, but I just, it's just not in me right now, at least. And I felt so bad. Oh. i'm so sorry and, and it brought me back to okay what are the things that i value as an entrepreneur being able to do what i feel called to do and have freedom to do that to have time freedom flexible i have kind of some of those things but ultimately and if you can find that in a traditional job find what fills you awesome you know because you may be more at peace than i am and so yeah it backed me off and, some
0: of that and then that, and that's where this idea of being driven you know i love that you're Causing us to take a fresh look at what that really means because uh, we assume that it means outside the box being rebellious doing things that other people are doing having a bigger house a faster car and all that if you're driven and you're saying no you can be driven and be Caleb of uh, my oldest grandson your oldest son who works at a hospital he serves people so well people love him he mm. loves having the opportunity to be the first person somebody sees when they come out of surgery. You know, it's just, it's a beautiful fit for him and he's thriving in that. And wow, what a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I know that, you know, he's had an askance look at that kind of a traditional job from his daddy and grandpa and papa.
1: And I think he probably still deals with a little bit of guilt here and there that he's not doing something that I might see as greater and whatever. And yet he's the one that taught me, as opposed to, man, don't just sit there, do something. And it was, don't just do something, dad, sit there. (laughs) So I'm trying to (laughs) change my drive to learn his, his efforts at peace. His calm peace. Oh my gosh.
0: All right. Now thinking back in your own life, Kevin, since I've known you pretty well since day one, when you were 10 years old, BMX bicycle racing swept the country. You wanted to get involved. Mm -hmm. You clearly had some natural talent, but we also had a neighbor kid named Jeff who was your same age and he had a lot of natural talent. His mom and dad gave him his racing bike You worked hard to get yours. He showed up for races, but didn't really practice in between races. You'd practice your starts, your sprints. We built a starting gate where you practice starts hundreds and hundreds at a time to give you that one second advantage. Jeff faded from the BMX scene pretty quickly. You got hundreds of trophies, went on to become a nationally ranked cyclist. What was the difference about the approach and outcome with you and Jeff?
1: Yeah, I did. I mean, you taught me that well. I've done that with my kids. You know, today where they have to earn the money at farmers market or whatever jobs they're doing to, to buy their car, and their buddy next door just got a brand new you know, sixty thousand dollars pickup truck. And man, I saw that happen. You, it, that was a great analogy. I saw that happen, even if I was maybe irritated that you made me work for this bike that I that I wanted. And then I saw the others and saw the lack of value, the lack of investment um, the lack of sustainability. And I saw it so blatantly in that neighborhood that you're talking about and those kids. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, I I see that when we're, when we're given, I had that question come up and I stated it to some people one time that kind of the the thing of if you're going to, if next year, you're going to end the year with 2 million bucks in your bank account, would you rather it came from something you did some achieve some effort that you put in some work you did and, and got that money or that was from the lottery and the people who have created something and kind of Donald Miller's story, a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. People who have done that immediately, oh, I'd rather earn it. People who haven't, which is generally younger people. Cause they haven't, they haven't gotten out there are generally quick to go. Oh, I'd rather, I'd rather just, you know, lottery just really? in there. But and that's so telling to me. We value the things that we work for. We value the things that we have challenged. That that old adage of you know, uh, I'm going to pick on the you know the, Christ, the the Christian religious context of you're going to die and be in a cloud and sing hymns for a thousand years. Oh God, help me! <laughs> Are you serious? What is? If, if, I, I'm hoping that as we're made in the image of God, and I hope that the earth has some imagery of heaven. I, I hope there's mountains, and I hope there's some hills, and I really hope there's some challenge, and some work to do, one, some work to do. I read a challenge. I oh. read a book one time about the concept of is. It, could there be sadness in heaven? And I actually loved it. Like to really, I'm going to be in heaven. And if I have any connection to right now, I think, and I'll still be sad about some of the things that I did and maybe some things that I, that I didn't do. And I want that. It's what helps make me be human and helps me feel. I don't want to yeah, spare me the anyways, the challenge. I, mean, that's, I love that from Donald Miller's book, to a million miles on a thousand years, a, a good story, a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. That's what makes a story without the conflict. Nobody wants to watch that story.
0: Wow. Hey, I want to talk a little bit more about environment as well. You know, there's a story told by Earl Nightingale, who was, of course, the author of The Strangest Secret, the little audio recording that impacted me so much as a Uh, 13-year-old farm kid and caused me to see my circumstances differently. But he talked about a friend of his who had... Uh, two sons, and this guy, his life kind of deteriorated a little bit along the way, and he started relying on alcohol just as a coping mechanism. And one night, just needing money, being broke and desperate, went in and robbed a liquor store, just out of character for himself, certainly mm-hmm. never done that before. And in confusion, he sprayed some bullets and, and actually killed the proprietor of that store. So the father was sent to court, of course, and sent to prison for life. Earl Nightingale checked in on the, the guy's two sons every four or five years just to kind of check on him as a courtesy to his friend who was now in prison. When his boys were in their early 30s, they were two years apart. He visited them both, and he wanted to check in and see how they were doing. So he visited the first brother, and the brother was— um, doing really well. had gone to school, got his MBA, was working with a company, had been promoted to a sales manager, you know, had the traditional, you know, white picket fence, nice car, nice wife, three kids, and all that. And he asked the boy, you know, he had decided to ask the boys both the same question. With a father like you had, how did you end up like you did? The second son he visited had taken much the same path as his father, had made some bad decisions, and One night, needed money for drugs, again, robbed a store, didn't kill anybody, but sprayed some bullets and was sent to prison. He asked both boys that question. How did you explain how you ended up in life? Both of them, without ever talking to each other, answered essentially exactly the same. With a father like that, what other life could I have lived? One saw the father as a model for what not to do and change direction dramatically once as a model that's all i know thus i'm confined to doing the same thing we see that again and again and again when we come back to this idea of of drive you it it seems to be closely connected to just being willing to make a decision is is
1: that a reasonable kind of connection Yeah. I want it to be, uh, but you know, in that, that one, that grieves me. I mean, I know that story and, and it, and it grieves me a a lot because I want to be able to do the math one plus one equals two. And we Mm -hmm. found this and and it does. And yet you find that and wonder why, I mean, you know that you've had a bunch of kids, I've had a bunch of kids and you know that they come out of the womb man, and they're different blows me away. You know how different that they can be. And you know, so we could cite that my Quandary, and no, I'm having quandary. My pondering with that is, you know, did one of them just have an innate innate, something different in them that had more of a prosperity mentality than a scarcity mentality? And that's the difference. just some innate genetic fluke. Or was it did the one who went off and did something good did he did he just happen to have exposure to something? This is like Ben Hardy's story. I mean, his one thing when he looked around and saw them and things are not good. And his one lifeline was, uh, it was a youth pastor that he remembered who had just kept in contact, kind of like Earl Nightingale with these guys. He just kept contact once in a while. And he just reached out and go, man, this is not good. I don't really know what to do. Got any ideas. And the guy said, well, yeah, let's do. And it was that little bit of exposure that maybe mm. another kid didn't have. Mm. And it, it, it drives, drives me. It drives me pun intended, um, To think, man, if folks are out there, you know, listen, the, the number one thing they can do, and I grew up with you telling me this. Is surround yourself with people you want to emulate, and I would say I'm tempted to say successful people, but you can find somebody who you know, has success financially or something that's not a life you want to you know you want to you want to look at look at the people you really respect, you really respect, and go be around them. And that's that. Even today, man, when I'm feeling low, I need to go get with some people, and then whether that's people that you know have written a book, I can listen to their podcast. Nothing beats face-to-face, but go do that because, yeah, I'm so enamored now with just the little seemingly benign exposures that can help us have the propensity for that good decision like you're talking about.
0: All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break here. Kevin, will come back and talk a little bit more about this environment affecting our ability to be driven. Well, wow. As you know, this is an exception. Normally, I'm answering questions. If you got questions or comments about this that you'd like to have us unpack, feel free to send those in. I'm honored to get your questions. Just go to 48days.com slash askdan. You can leave your questions there. Again, that's 48days.com slash askdan. And if I use your question, I'll send you an autographed copy of 48 Days to the Work You'll all right, Kevin. I want to lean into this a little bit more about environment. The way you just explained that, it brings up the question we hear a lot about: is it nature or nurture? You know, are we born with some things that just direct our lives, or can we just start with a clean slate? Now, I'm reminded. I think historically, you know, the Catholic Church has said, "Give us a child for the first five years of his life, and then you can put him in any environment." We know they're still going to be devout Catholics. That's that's pretty that's, that's pretty strong. You quote in your book the geneticist, Francis Collins, who said, genetics loads the gun and environment pulls the trigger. Are we really programmed that thoroughly in our early years? You know, we hear these stories about people, you know, really dramatically changing. I see primarily people who at age 45 are saying, you know what? Other people see me as successful. Yeah, I'm I'm a doctor. I'm an engineer. I'm an accountant. I'm a pastor. I'm an attorney. But they're saying, I don't think this is it. I think I'm living somebody else's dream. Now, theoretically, you know, it could take you, let's say like drop you off in a city where you've never been, no one knows you. Could you recreate yourself as somebody very different from who and what you are today?
1: Man, I've I played with that question and I... I think coming from, you know, I think your, your influence was more on the nurture side of making yourself and, and becoming yourself. And yet, as time has gone on, I'm pretty blown away with the nature aspect. As you know, uh, our youngest daughter, your granddaughter, who's 10, she came to our home at four and a half years old. After four years of that initial programming, like the Catholics talked about, mm-hmm. she, that, ha, that was done on an Indian reservation, uh, raised by a drunk, and then, ra- you know, anyways, neglected, uh, abused, and, and horribly, uh, she, came, yeah. she came to us. And in my naivety, and, in, in, you know, faith that I wanted to have, thought, well, we're just going to love that stuff right out of her. It hasn't happened. Now, today, She's amazing she's amazing. And I'm not minimizing what you know, the privilege that we have that we were able, were able to give to her, but man, that programming, I think it's going to be with her the rest of her life. And that is, uh, so my best hope is to help her be as aware as she can of it. Let's I want it out on the table, you know, as she's able to understand it, have it out on the table, say, Hey, this is, this is part of you. This is part of you that, um, that you can take affirmative action against it doesn't limit you doesn't have to limit you at all, but it is a part of you and in not uh, not looking at that. And I think that's what we tend to do. Uh, I just, again, you know, I had somebody on the show recently, dad, and we talked about this, that propensity for kids, especially to come out of the house, go to college or whatever. But that day that all of a sudden they 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 go to bed somewhere different. It's their place. It's their dorm, their apartment, their house. And they think, okay, man, now it's time for me to be me. Mm-hmm. Totally. At this point, I, I'm, I'm telling you, dude, you are not you. You are all that past program. Whoa. You want, you want to be authentic you, you need to go to rebrainwashing school, you know, kind of like, remember, like they used to have, you know, women's finishing school. I know that's very sexist in this day, but I feel like everybody needs to go to that. Let's go to real, uh, to awakening school. Okay. What do we got here? Imagine Absolutely. Imagine that, just like, just like you would, if you got a ball player on your team as broke, okay, what are we working with? Who's this dude? What are they, what are they made of? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What are their propensities, predispositions? Let's see what we're working with here. Get that out on the table and go, huh? All right. Well, now, now, where do you want to go? What are we going to do with this? Cause this stuff exists. So that's a, it's a bigger question, not question, a bigger issue to me. I think every day, Dan,
0: well, we see these, you know, it's been immortalized in, in movies like my fair lady they took somebody and really remade remade that person into something else.
1: You might, I love
0: those stories, I man. I, the thing that motivated me to change the direction of my family history was reading the old Horatio Alger stories, Rags to Riches, how somebody, you know, had nothing, and by golly, they figured some things out, and now they're doing really well. But that dicey kind of blend of nature-nurture continues to intrigue me as well, for sure. Well, a couple other questions here. You know, drive implies, I, I think in general, it implies somebody, you know, pushing to get ahead. There are clear images that come to mind when we say somebody's driven. You know, we often think of a Richard Branson or Elon Musk or even like a Donald Trump. You know, I'm just going to get ahead no matter what. Uh, sometimes that's seen as less than desirable trait. Is there ever a point where we need to just back off on being driven? Or are there some people who are going to be content without having what we would think of as drive? Where's that balance between, well, oh, I'm going to go out, you know, kill something and drag it home as, you know, our buddy Ramsey would say, you know, where, where is that balance to saying my life is good. This is okay.
1: Man, it's such a good question. You and I did a show maybe a year ago talking in essence about retirement, I think is where we kind of landed on and me asking you about your perspectives on that. As you are, it was right out. it was, it was talking a little bit about your kind of, you know, you were having some health issues and you got those corrected and made the statement of, man, I'm not only back where I was, I'm better than I was. And I'm planning out the next 20 years of my life. And you're, you know, 70 something at that point. Mm-hmm. And you're excited to go uh, forward. You're continually driven, you know, in that. And I find a lot of people who, yeah, the drive has a negative connotation because it's yeah, like pushing and and pulling and, and going forward, like, oh my gosh, can I just take a break? And I think that is a reality of if that drive is not. I do a lot of talking about the book. Is it is it really authentic of what you're going forward towards? Is it how does it line up with your values? What do you value and how does it line up with those? That's what we're talking about. And, and I will say too, and you, you'll appreciate this. And I'll say this to everybody out there who's interested in books. Part of the reason why it's called what drives you is because drive sells. So there's, there's the candor of that because what was my initial thought? It was around want, like know what you want. Uh-huh. yeah. Interesting. It, 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 so, so we're, we're judging a book by its cover here. So I'm pulling people in with what drives. Now I do love drive. That is authentic to me. I love being driven, but I've also driven myself into some bad places and to some burnout. So you can drive yourself to burnout because you're not doing it right now. So I look at it and go, man, I want to be driven, but I want to know what I value right now. A lot of my drive, what I'm trying to steer my drive is to, like we said before. Don't just do something, sit there, okay? <laughs> I have no problem being driven to go out on my mountain bike right now and mm-hmm. just go as hard as I can and see if I can set a new PR on my loop. Man, that is that is that is home for me. And yet it also doesn't help my anxiety. It keeps me high strong. And I'm, I have struggles with that because I'm just, yeah, I want to just go, go, go. Right now, my drive is to stop at the lake and sit down and notice it. I've got somebody coming on the show to talk about the power of awe or the moments of awe. And I, need to see, I want that drive. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take 100% of that drive. I'm not lessening my drive. I'm just redirecting it to what will better fulfill and sustain me. And for me right now, and I think for a lot of people, is stop, sit, notice, be present. And so I, I, I'm looking at the drive. I, I want to always be driven, but I want to be driven in the things that are fulfilling.
0: Okay, I I love that. You know, we tend to associate being driven with being really focused on what we want. And usually that has to do with career and finances, you know, having big goals for what we want to accomplish. But you're saying we can also use that to our advantage in our, our health, personal development, relationships, those areas as well. Those are a legitimate area of focus for our drive to produce healthy, fulfilling, meaningful lives.
1: I've seen you do it. I mean, you've been an example of that. There was a time and a day, well, heck, when you were my age, man, I think you were, you were the consummate driven, you were going and you were going and you were going. And today, and I saw you slowly make that shift and it wasn't just, I don't believe to me, it wasn't your age and it wasn't even your income. It was you looking and going, man, I can get better out of myself by not being that consummate, you know, driving nonstop cross country with no sleep. I can drive better. And more productively when I stop, smell the roses. In your case, maybe plant the roses and, and harvest them on your, you know, on your on your property. And that when you work, you're gonna get the most out of it. it. Reminds me of Richard Branson. I heard about him years ago that he works basically. He said about 20 minutes a day, about 20 minutes a day. And I make huge important, valuable decisions. Mm. The rest of the time, I just do whatever the heck I want. I, thought, gosh, I, I want that. I want that as opposed to going, no, dude, I put in, you know, 15 hours a day and I sleep tw- two hours a day. Kind of that old thing. I'm not proud of that. That's terrible. That doesn't, yeah. I don't want to be with, I don't want to hang out with that person. The Gary Vanna check worked till your eyeballs bleed. Are oh you kidding gosh. me? Oh, uh, yeah, I, 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 and that's the, but that's what tends to get the applause. I think we're seeing, I really do feel like we're seeing a shift because we have such influential people like, you know, you and so many other people that I have on the show who are talking about not just, they're not bragging about sleeping two hours. They're bragging about sleeping eight hours. That's right. And they're bragging about having these outside interests that uh, are fulfilling and inspiring to them. And they're bragging, and they may, may, may brag more about working less. And I love that shift, working less, working smarter, that kind of stuff that we say. And that speaks to me and flips around that concept of the driven person just being you know a workhorse. I don't want to be a mule.
0: You know, your your mom and I just spent last week with our friends Michael and Gail Hyatt up in yeah. Franklin, Tennessee. Michael and I talked about it on um, neither of us miss a nap pretty much every yeah. single day. <laughs> yeah. And people think, Are you kidding me? You know, you could use that to write another chapter of book. Well, yeah, but again, there's that there's that balance being driven. Is more than just about more and bigger. Hey, as we wrap up our conversation, Kevin, I want to talk a little bit more about how you unpack our use of the term I have to. We don't have to do much at all. We base our lives based on what we choose to do. Talk about the significance of that. Well, you know, it's just the way I am. That's I have to do that.
1: You know, in the acknowledgments of my book, I started off saying, citing Solomon, saying there's nothing new under the sun. So I'm sure I picked it up from somebody. I just don't remember who, but it was the concept of thinking about how my vernac, our vernacular as a culture and mine too, is man. I got to go do this. Hey man, I got to, I got to go pick up the kids. Uh, you know, man, I, I got to pay the, I got to pay the bills. Man, I, re- I really need to get out of here. I've got to pull. And it's this, it's a victim speech, and we, we, we all do it. So I don't know where it germinated from me, but I, I, I wrote about it one day. And then started trying to apply it to my life. And it's so difficult initially. And it still is. I still catch myself going, I need to go, wait, wait, wait. I want to, I want to go pick up my kid. Do I, do I not want to pick up the kid and leave them stranded there? I mean, I, I really do want to get them, Absolutely. and I'll, I'll even do a lot as I play with it. And that's the last chapter of the book. It's kind of here's an exercise. I mean, try to do this for everybody out there. Try to spend a day never saying "I need to," "I gotta." These victims say "I want to," or even just say "I'm going to." Because some of the stuff you may say, "No, I don't really want to," but you know, obviously, I'm making the choice to. Most of us are privileged enough that we're making choices. We do have other choices, and we're making the ones that we choose to do. And to say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go now." Uh, I'm going to go do this. And trying to change that gives us so much more ownership. It really feels good inside when you do it, but it'll jack up your dogma, as my friend Scott would say, to to try to change that. And you'll notice it with other people. It's kind of like you pointing out how many times somebody says, "uh" or like, you know, in a sentence, when you start paying attention to that, you hear it constantly. Listen to how our culture Everyone pretty much says, I got to, I need to go through your day at work or with people. And we do that. And it's, it's not taking personal ownership. It's, it's kind of saying, I don't have, own, I don't have, I don't have control of my life or what I'm doing. It's, it's, it's out there with my kids and my schedule and my job and my responsibilities as a to So saying, these are things that I have chosen to do. And then if you find too, that, oh my gosh, I can't say that I want to, I really don't, but that's pretty telling. Maybe let's look at see the, uh, what you're doing there, and it may be something you need to uh, change.
0: Okay, that's my last question for you, and I, it leans right into that exactly. So do you think readers of your book are going to see this as freeing, or does that seem like an unwelcome responsibility all of a sudden? You know, it's easy to excuse our lives because we have to do so many things, but do you put the responsibility and the privilege of living our lives knowing we're in the driver's seat of our lives
1: that's a perfectly brilliant question. Uh, I mean, it, it is. I think it will be. I think that most of the people that are going to pick up a book like this are what I'm going. What I call aspiring. I just had Arthur Brooks on. He calls them strivers. Those are the people that are going to buy this, and most of them they're going to see it, and it's going to be freeing. They're going to go, "Yeah, this is giving me permission to really look at what I value, what I want, not what the culture does, not what my parents or my spouse or even that I've adopted for myself." And it's going to be freeing, but I can see them recommending the book. Hey, you need to read this to somebody else. And to them, they're going to go the opposite way. They do not want to accept that responsibility because it's too daunting and they're going to reject it. Uh, because they're in a—I—I I, I know the word is so bad, but it, it's more of a victim mentality. They don't want to take that ownership. So I think it's going to be, yeah, it would be a, a start. If you put it out there in the culture at large, it would be a stark division on people who find freedom and joy and hope from the book and people who go, oh no, I don't want to take that responsibility. But the type of person who's listening to this show, your show, my show, and he's going to buy this book, I think is going to Uh, find what i found out of doing the research on it and doing the work out of it and go man this is this is freeing that i can question and see that yeah i'm going after this thing that i don't authentically want no wonder i'm feeling burnout and frustration and dissatisfaction because i really want xyz that's what i'm working in the book to help lead them to and that's what i want and that's there's drive there's the spark of drive and it's the inspiration on fire
0: oh man geez how oh we could go on for hours, obviously. So you've given us a guidebook for knowing we have the drive. We can make our own decisions to redirect, get the results if we want them. We're not victims. Knowing what we want, knowing we all have drive does not necessarily mean more and bigger. Everyone has a potential and the opportunity to live a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable by their own definition. Kevin, and this is a special moment, obviously. I can't tell you how proud I am of What you've done, your mom and I, seeing you grow up as a little boy, driven in your own way, continuing to do that, you know, daddy to a whole bunch of our wonderful, beautiful grandkids, and now to come out with this book, wow, what an honor and a privilege. Again, the book is What Drives You? People can grab it. You got any special place or just have them go to the normal places they buy books to get it?
1: Amazon is great. And if this kind of content is up your alley too, man, that's what we talk about four episodes a week at Self Helpful uh, at the podcast. This is what I'm interested in. I have people like Dan Miller on my show and we talk about his book and his message and these kind of concepts. And I love having these discussions. There's few things, not even a great mountain bike ride. That's hardly as good <laughs> <but> A conversation <laughs> that matters about a topic like this. So, uh, man, thank you. What a great fruition for me to be on a uh, guest on your show. It's like you, uh, coming back and being part of Nightingale Conant, you know? Oh uh, my gosh. Funny. Yes. So, uh, what a, what a fruition and honor for me, dad. Oh,
0: uh, thanks. Well, rarely do I miss one of your episodes. You, as many people attest, are one of the best interviewers that we have in the country right now. The way you lean in and bring out the best of what your people have. And I love hearing the, the many perspectives brought to your show. Again, that's self-helpful. You, know, you can find that wherever you listen to this podcast. Just go there, check in with Kevin as well. It's funny to hear people every now and then, you know, oh, I've got this other, one of my other favorite podcasts is this guy named Kevin Miller. <laughs> you know? And then five minutes into the conversation whoa wait that's your son you guys are related <laughs>
1: oh, man, i've had that happen so many times that i had no idea you're dan miller's kid oh my god
0: uh well hey it's an honor and a privilege believe me and we still get to make those choices for living the lives that we choose to live all right thanks for listening thanks for sending in your questions thanks for being open and growing for being a powerful force for making the world a better place Share this episode. We're going to be sharing this a lot, but um, if you like the connection between father and son, share this with some of your friends who are also committed to personal growth. They'll thank you for it. Become known for your positivity, for offering hope and encouragement to others. When you give somebody a book or share with them a podcast like this, it'll elevate your credibility and value in their eyes. Be that person. Stay committed to your belief that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.